Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Pat, thank you so much, mate, for making the time to come and have a chat. Uh, you're in quarantine right now, which um, I'm not envious of, but I you know, am envious of you competing in the Olympics and all the amazing things you've done. And we just were talking about Eugene and Steve Prefontaine before this. So, um, yeah, just want to say to you, first of all, thanks for doing it. No, of course, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, um, yeah, happy, happy to be here. No, I appreciate it. So um, before we get into it, do you, I normally ask the guests just to give a bit of a background on um, where you've come from and sort of what you do and, you know, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so, um, yeah, my name's Pat Tien and I grew up in uh, a smaller smaller town in Queensland called Toowoomba. Um, basically, my entire childhood was, you know, I was just a sports nut as a kid, so I loved, you know, I started playing cricket when I was five or six and, you know, that was kind of my summer sport all the way through till I was 18. And through the winter, I would rotate through you know, rugby, field hockey, uh, soccer, basketball, pretty much anything I could I could try my hand at. Um, and running was another sport that I, you know, just took up as something to do um, through that time. And, um, you know, that kind of really stuck with me i think i had a lot of lot of success with running while i was younger um and so i think it's you know it's very easy to enjoy something as a kid when you when you're successful at it and so that kind of kept it fun for me um and at least um spurred an interest in the sport from a young age and from then i was able to you know expand on it and appreciate it a bit more for what it was and it really turned into something that i wanted to do um or take more seriously and so in uh, 2013 I accepted a scholarship to Villanova University over in the US uh, based just out of Philadelphia and um, yeah ran there and studied um, did a bachelor of science while I was while I was over there and so um, you know that was a great opportunity for me to be able to keep my running going while also getting an education, which is a pretty rare opportunity for, um, for Australians, I think, where something like that goes hand in hand. So I did that and then was fortunate enough to um, sign a contract with Nike out of college, um, you know, off the back of competing in my first Olympics in, in 2016. And uh, actually since then I've been running running professionally as my job. Um, very lucky to be able to do that and uh, most recently competed in the Tokyo Olympics in the 10,000 metres. So, yes, yeah, so that's, that's kind of a, a brief summary of my, of my life to this point, I would say. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing it, mate. And I've definitely got a lot of respect for anyone in, in athletics, especially middle distance running. I grew up, you know, competing at a semi-high level. I was never that amazing, but I competed at, you know, Australian level at one point and, it, it's a tough thing. I mean, it's a grueling thing and you have to have a pretty strong mindset to, to do it. And 
uh, it's, you know, it's pretty amazing the sort of level you know that you're at and what it takes to get there. It's um, it's not 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 for the faint-hearted. So it's yeah, impressive what you're doing, and you know you've just come back from from Tokyo. You know how was how was that experience, and was that um, a different experience? I guess because of COVID and it being delayed by a year and that whole thing. How did that sort of you know play on on your mindset as well? Getting you know preparing for it. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of the preparing for it started the year before when it when it was postponed. I think it's, you know, it's something that you're targeting for such a long time. And so I think any time you target something, yeah, physically you have a, an end date in mind, but I think it's also key to remember that that end date applies to your mental state with it. Um, and so when it was postponed for the first time, um, I know a lot of people whose mindset almost just like ramped up and they said all right mm-hmm. now i've got an extra 12 months so i'm gonna from march till august of next year i'm just gonna keep training hard and that's gonna be you know i can just keep soaring through that um whereas for me it was kind of like all right you had an expiration date of july or august for like where you were going to be at and now that date's been pushed back a year so for me, it was like, all right, just take a mental break for a month or two and just like, you know, relax, regroup, reset, come back at it in like a couple of months time when you can, you know, when you're feeling a bit more energized about and can get going again. So that was kind of where it started for me was just being able to accept like, all right, just take the foot off the pedal for a little bit mm. and just, just relax a bit. Because um, I know myself and I know I would have, you know, that motivation would have been really strong for about six more months. And then I just would have, you know, burnt out a little bit there and had to try and regroup. And I'm sure it wouldn't have happened until about a month before. Um, And for me, that's not the best preparation uh, for any sort of race, let alone a championship. So, um, yeah, so I kind of started there. And then, you know, as the year went on, you're starting to realise certain things that are going on with it. I think when, you know, it started off with um, there's going to be this playbook that, you know, restricts a lot of things. And then it was like, all right, we're not going to be able to have many overseas fans to no overseas fans. So, you know, that meant your family, your friends, partners, anything like that weren't going to mm-hmm. be able to come with you, which is, you know, that that was something new for me. Um so that's something else you have to be able to mentally figure out. Um, and then, yeah, right up to the point where it was like no fans, you can't leave the village outside of your competition uh, days and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so that was just like getting to that point was like, okay, like, it was almost easier at that point because you could just say screw it to any sort of like mm. um, fabrication you were trying to trying to figure out to like um, make things seem seem like they were there. Got to the point where you're just like, all right, accepted it. <laughs> There's nothing going to be there for me in that regard, and that is what it is. But at the same time, it's track and field. This is not something we're not used to. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, so I feel like the competing side of it wasn't too difficult once you realised exactly what it was. Um, 
and that then that became pretty easy to to prepare for it kind of just became like any other race um but yeah but definitely you know in the village that's something that's always going to be something you you've got to prepare for i think the first time i was in the village in 2016 i was very overwhelmed you know you're seeing not only sporting idols from your own sport but from every other olympic sport there is um so you know you've kind of got to prepare yourself for for that side of it and that you're going to see these athletes but you've also got to remember you're there to compete as well and like so you've got to hold yourself to that sort of level um and so that's something that you know you can prepare for a long time in advance regardless of restrictions or anything like that like that's if you're staying in the village that's going to be the case mm. um so that as the olympics aspect of it didn't necessarily change um but it was more just you know the, the finer details as far as like you know is there going to be a crowd are we going to be are we going to be you know restricted in it was more about your preparation for the for the race rather than the olympic stage itself i would say um and those are definitely things that you can you can manage. And so I think overall it was a very – I think they did a really great job for everything they had to do. I think, um, you know, they still made it an Olympic experience. It was a different Olympic experience. Like there's no denying that, but it was still – you still felt like you were competing at the Olympic Games, which I think, you know, couldn't have been easy to achieve as a mm. – as an organizing body and um no i think japan did a fantastic job at you know at making us making us feel like we were at we were at the tokyo olympics yeah totally and i guess it's something that you'll it'll be remembered forever because it's pretty it never happened you know like this so it's pretty unique to look back on and to have been part of that you know it would be something that you'll always remember and have that experience that's yeah totally unique to to other other olympics which is um you know a cool thing but it would have been yes like you're saying so many things to navigate and i know i saw you know obviously in in your race you know with um when you you know semi collapsed and um ended up finishing it that you know generated quite a lot of attention how was how was that whole experience i mean i looking from afar i i had so much respect and thought you know that's an amazing effort and it's like that's what the olympics is about you know that kind of thing and having that courage but you know how so interested to hear um how, how that experience was for you and mentally what 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 went through your head yeah i mean i think immediately after the race um you know i wasn't i didn't see i didn't really see much um of the of the response to it until probably two two and a half hours after the race um you know, the, the first hour afterwards, I was being taken care of um, in a medical sense underneath the stadium and making sure I was in a, I was leaving the stadium in a good way, which they did an amazing job um, at making mm. sure that, that all that was taken care of. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, obviously for me leaving the stadium, I was really disappointed, um, frustrated, you know, a little bit, um, a little bit embarrassed, not necessarily because of, you know, the stage it was on, but more so just for myself. Like it was was one of those things where, you know, the Olympics is every four years and in this case every five. And and so when you leave one Olympics, your mindset naturally goes to the next Olympics. 
in some way, shape or form. Like you can have your goals, like you can say, all right, I'm going to, now I'm going to focus on this championship here, but always in the back of your mind is that, that event that's down the road, um, you know, that's on the same stage. And so for me, I, I came out of Rio and I had a, you know, I had a, it was a good year. The achievement was making the team for me that year, but I definitely didn't perform mm-hmm. as well as I would have liked um, in in the actual Olympics. And so I left there being like, all right, Tokyo, I'm going to be ready. It's going to be great. Um, so, yes, yeah, so initially, you know, I'm leaving the stadium and I was like, you know, like, shit, like it's five years and, you know, yeah, not only did I not get the results I'd hoped, um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't finish anywhere near how I wanted to finish. Um, you know, like I think it was one of those tough things, just like it's just a tough pill to swallow at the time knowing that, that you know, that last lap. And I know it's, it's, it was, you know, I'm saying it differently now, but at the time it was like that last lap is my, is my stamp on these Olympics. And mm. that to me was like embarrassing that it was like stumbling across the line to finish a 10K was how I was going to be remembered for that and how I, not only how I was going to be remembered by others, but how I was going to remember that at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so then I left and, you know, I received just an overwhelming number of messages of support. Um, from you know obviously all of my family and friends but also just people you know the Australian public but also some people from just across the world who had seen it um and at the time I was like I don't get it like to me it was like I don't understand how that's inspirational or anything like that like I like I guess I was seeing it more in the sense of like they were congratulating me on just finishing a 10k and I was like, yeah, yeah. mate, I finish a 10K every day. <laughs> you want to see me finish a 10K, I'll run 10K right now and I'll finish it better than that. But, <laughs> yeah, yes, and I obviously wasn't thinking of it in a practical sense at that point. But um, so, yeah, so it took me probably, you know, I'd say it was a better part of two weeks before I started getting back to people. Um, who would send me messages, even family. Um, you know, there are obviously some some really like close, like my fiance and my parents, and you know, any really close mates of mine who I was getting back to because I just needed someone to talk to at the time. But um, you know, it took me two weeks to actually start getting back to um, the other people who would send me messages, just because I wanted to make sure I'd you know processed it properly. Um, and, you know, once I did, I realised what those messages meant and what, you know, what that race actually was. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, I understand the memory of that race will be sort of a, a sign of resilience and courage and stuff like that. And I, I still don't necessarily see the race in that front, but for me, I definitely see it in a more positive light of like, I was there with a lap to go and I'd like executed my race plan perfectly for 95% of the race. Um, and so now so much, it's not 
for me, it's not as much of an emphasis on that last 5%. There's still an emphasis there because obviously I have to fix that, um, you know, going forward. But I'm definitely looking at it more so as like, all right, well, you're obviously in great shape. You did everything you could and you just miss a mark with like, you know, a cooling method preparation or like maybe yeah. you guys just miss a mark with like your heat and humidity training or something like that. But there was something that it wasn't like a complete disaster. It was just one thing, one or two things that you didn't quite hit the nail on with it. Um, so, yeah, so no, the but now I see all those messages. It's like that's amazing to me. And now, you know, a lot of people were saying like it made them proud to be Australian. To, to watch me race but honestly receiving those messages makes me proud to be Australian because it's like there's so many people who've seen this in such a positive way and it's so easy especially in the sporting arena to turn something on its head and make it seem very negative um mm-hmm. so to see that it was such a resounding positive reaction to it um you know that's that really makes me proud to represent this country and you know now I know that I have, you know, all of them behind me going into, you know, I would say going into any other race, but realistically going into the next Olympics. Um, yeah. Which, you know, that's that's huge because there's going to be, you know, yes, people watching is one thing, but also people watching who want you to succeed and want you to do well. Um, yeah. And not not necessarily an expectation, but they just they want it for you and that's that's an amazing feeling so um so yeah so that's that's sort of what i'm taking away from all these messages is that i now have a a much larger uh support group going into going into that next Olympics, which is you know that will i guarantee that will make me finish that race in a much more much more upright position absolutely mate well yeah thank you for sharing that as well it's um and i totally can yeah it's hard to imagine from your perspective like you're saying when you've uh you know you get this every four years or you know five year gap for this one and it, everything's coming down to this one race i can't even imagine you know the psychology and how you sort of compose yourself for that and then the feeling afterwards when it hasn't gone the way you planned it would be yeah take time to to recover from that and it's just such a hard mental thing to do it's crazy having you know these this pocket of of time to uh to execute after four years of work but uh i think over time as well like you're saying with that event it this will be something that's remembered and that people look back on and it you know it's probably as you were just saying before still hard for you to completely see it like that because how can you when you've been so emotionally you know invested and you know you're trying to process everything but I think it is it really symbolizes what sport and the olympics is about and all of the good things and i think people respond to that kind of stuff so well as well because it humanizes it and it makes the athlete you know they're saying okay this is like i can see the humanity in this and i want to get behind this person i want to see you know and uh which is a, a positive thing and we we need more of that in you know the world now with all the other crap that's going on and there's so much so much bullshit in the world that it is nice when you know like you were saying it's a positive thing when um you see such a reaction from from people uh you know responding like that and and showing that positivity so i guess like you were saying before has that sort of put even more drive in you for 
the next Olympics now in, you know, really gearing yourself up mentally for you're already looking forward to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's definitely in the mindset for right now. But I would say more so than like a drive, it just it adds it adds more value to it. Um yep. you know, before I think it's one of the hardest things in sport is to, to find values as to why you're competing or why you're doing something outside of simply being a competitive psycho. Like <laughs> It's <laughs> yeah. like, like, cause uh, there's times where, you know, people ask me like, why do you love running? And like, I'm like, oh, that, you know, uh, the common answer for a lot of people is, oh, I love the competitiveness of it. Like I love competing and stuff like that. But when you break down competing, like if all you drive is simply just to beat the other people who you're surrounding, it's like, that's pretty crazy that that's mm-hmm. that's your drive is just to beat random people at <laughs> yeah. like something you're good at. So it's like, you know, it, it's hard to find like um it's hard to find things outside of just or even within the competitive context that you actually enjoy before getting to the race. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so yeah, so I think if anything this this adds value to what I'm doing. Like there's there's more people who are behind me who, like I was saying before, just want me to do well. And yeah. whether that's, yeah. you know, whether that's winning, whether that's simply putting myself back up there and finishing well, um, you know, whether that's taking care of myself before getting back out there. You know, there's been a lot of people whose messages have been like not only like, you know, that we're proud to be Australian, that we're such a great sign of resilience and courage and all that, but overwhelming number of people have said, are you okay? Make sure you take time to get yourself right, stuff like that, which is like, you know, that's that's a great sign for me that like, yeah, they, they want me to do well, but they want me to do it in a manner that's like healthy and um, safe for me, which, you know, to have to have people sending messages of genuine care is like you know that's something that's that i really appreciate as well so it's you know now i'm sort of when i'm looking towards paris and like stepping out on that start line it's like yeah now i'm representing not only a country that like you know has i think has some great values among it but also people who i think have have very good values with them as well and so that makes me Mm. you know that makes me want to do well but i also know that it's not it's not an expectation more so as a just like a genuine feeling of of love and support from those people so um yeah it's definitely you know obviously i want to do well for my own personal incentives and and stuff like that but now it's more so just a you know, there's not as much pressure to do super well as there is just to like, just to finish in a way that I'm going to be pleased with and happy with, um, and ultimately coming out of it with some form of happiness. It's is the end goal, and I think I've had such a, you know, such a showing of support for a result like that for me going to Paris, and that's you know, that's kind of what's added added to that motivation or that drive to just, you know, compete in a, you know, 
I don't know, and compete well, but compete in a in a happy manner. I guess. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure happy is not quite the word that I'm looking to use there, but it's it's it rounds sort of everything into one word there. I guess. No, and I think I know what what you mean with that, and it's like um, <clears throat> you sort of touched on a, a, a question I was going to ask you, and I guess we've seen you know with these hugely high profile athletes as well now with like Naomi Osaka and people you know really putting their health first and I think as you were touching on it's like so hard in sport to find that middle ground where it's like how can you find you know what's my actual values and what do I really care about in the day-to-day how can I enjoy this day-to-day not just make my happiness based on results or based on you know which sport's measured by so how do I find how do I how do I try and achieve that at the highest level, but also not base my self worth and happiness on on that and the adulation that comes with it? And it's the same, you know, concept as you know saying that you know if I become a billionaire I'm going to be happy, or if I make X amount of money or achieve this, or looking for any external thing to validate you, it's not possible. Like there's no it's it's sort of a never ending thing and you can't achieve it. So it's like I, I can imagine it would be. Um, so hard in sport to find that middle ground where you're striving for that um but you're not basing your self-worth and your peace of mind or happiness you know on on that is that is that like a continual balancing act and you know trying to find that sort of uh the you know the joy in it yourself and enjoying that process daily of just trying to better yourself and get what you can out of it without having to focus too far ahead is that is that a really hard balance to find? Yeah, for sure. And I definitely get caught up in it a lot. Um, you know, I think we're always we're always putting our self worth on on our results for the most part. Um, because you know, when it comes down to it, if you want to, it's like any job. If you want to keep a job in that industry, how how you're going to get paid is ultimately based off of you know what's down on paper at the end of the season. Um, and so it's very hard to separate those two things, but I think, you know, I was, I pride myself generally in the sense that I, I do have, you know, I do make sure that I have things going on outside of my running career. Um, and that I, you know, make sure I value those things highly. Um, and for the most part, I've, you know, I've sort of always seen running as like, it's just running, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's, there's a lot of other things that I have going on in my life that are very positive and you know that I'm excited about um and you know I think it's 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 easy to get lost in the Olympics and kind of you know not forget those things but they kind of the Olympics goes up the priority list um Mm -hmm. because of what it is and so you know that's you get a little lost in that but I think if anything um you know, this result has really shown me that, you know, my self-worth had nothing to do with my 19th place finish, you know. Yeah. I think a uh, majority of people who probably sent me a message didn't even know where I finished, you yeah. know, and that that ultimately, you know, I look at it initially afterwards and see 19 out of, what was it, 25 or 26 athletes. And that's like sort of gut wrenching to, to me as an athlete, but um, in reality, you know, you, you always hear the phrase like "you're a winner in my eyes," and I always just thought that was like just a nice thing people said to someone who lost, <laughs> like just to make them feel a bit better. <laughs> but 
now I kind of understand it in the sense that like it really depends what you're looking at. If someone's looking at that race, it really depends what their motives are to watching it. And a lot of people that, you know, I understand that I really was the winner of that race as far as they're concerned Um, because of, you know, because of the effort I put in and what I was willing to do to get across, across the line and finish and, show all of that that strength to do that and so you know that if anything that's kind of reinforced to me that yeah i'm not you know being a ten thousand meter runner doesn't define who i am and like Mm -hmm. because if it did you know i'd be getting messages of congratulations on finishing 19th you know ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But in reality, my result had nothing to do with me being an elite level athlete. You know, it, it sort of spoke more to me as a person and that's exactly, you know, and that's kind of what I'm walking away from with this is that, yeah, there's a lot of other things that define me when I'm running that aren't just a result. And so I think if to me, it's more so identifying what those are. And I've been working basically since that race with, um, Jonah Oliver, who was um, basically one of the psychologists amongst this, the Olympic team while we were there, um, and identifying my values has been sort of, you know, that's been our main goal is to figure out why I'm doing this. and But also, like, what am I doing outside of athletics that, that's supporting that and, and keeping those those values in check and satisfying that box for me? So um you know and i haven't identified them it's it's a really long and sort of tough process to figure out um exactly what you know not only what your values are but what a value is depending on the person so um but yeah so it's but i know i do understand now that that's you know that my value isn't simply being a professional athlete and competing and winning you know like that's because if that was the case, I would have first time I fell or as soon as I dropped off the pack in that race, I would have stepped on the inside and been like, all right, I'll see you yeah. yeah. in three yeah. years. Um, yeah. But there was obviously something there that was like that made me finish that last lap. And so, you know, identifying what that is for me exactly, I, I you know, from the messages, I understand what it was to a lot of other people. Um but yeah, figuring out what that is for me exactly, I think is going to really benefit me going forward and help yeah. me sort of, you know, keep keep running, running, and not make it this big, unattainable, you know, goal or identity that um, you know just snowballs into something that I can't can't handle. Um, yeah. So yeah, so um, yeah, figuring those out is that's kind of my next my next project i guess is is trying to work that out and then then be able to 
you know incorporate or identify where i'm where i'm putting those in my in my daily life yeah but i I love what you're saying there as well and like i talk about that on this podcast a lot and you know it's not about no one's ever got all the answers to everything and you know we can't we're, we're always evolving and growing and learning and really it's more about just questioning it and looking at you know like what you're talking about here okay of having that self-awareness to see that being you know single-minded or placing my self-worth just on this one thing is not going to be healthy or sustainable it's not going to be what makes me happy even if i won you know five gold medals that's still not going to sustain happiness if my value system is built on that so what what else is out there and you know it's sort of just having i think that's it's not about having all the answers it's about having that mindset and being open to things and you know you see it in so many athletes i guess like michael phelps being a you know a big example talking about how he was suicidal after winning the most gold medals in history because it was that psychology of my whole life is built on when i win these medals that's that's what is gonna you know then everything's gonna be okay after that because that's what my life's about and then you get there and probably get a high and get the adulation and then what's next i've done it what do i do who am i what do i stand for how do i spend the next 50 years of my life you know you're pretty young as an athlete like what do i do after uh, so it's like, I think it's, you know, it's so important, which leads to another question I sort of wanted to ask you about that, whether you, I know, you know, from athletes I've interviewed and being, you know, when I was younger involved in sport myself, um, I've seen sort of how mental health problems can come with, you know, athletes when they are coming to the end of their career or, you know, when they're looking at what to do next. Have you seen that in general um, from your experience as being an issue in, in sport? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, I think it all comes down to like we were saying before, it's just, it's sport becomes, you know, if you don't control it, it becomes your identity. Um, And that's such a, you know, that's such a scary thing to, to have because, you know, your sporting career can end with one injury or it can be put on hold with, with an injury or, you know, COVID put, put sports on hold for however long that was, at least six or seven months. Um, so, yeah, so it's definitely, you know, I've, um, you know, I always knew that um, there were certain athletes that talked to sports psychologists about stuff. And for me, it was always like, I always thought they were talking to them to figure out how they could like come into a race with a more competitive edge or what sort of mentality they had to take into a race. It was all about like, for me, I always thought it was about how to better your performance on the day. Um, And so, but you know, I've kind of been, my eyes have kind of opened a little bit in the sense that now I realize it's probably more athletes than not that speak to a sports psychologist. And it's not, it's not necessarily like successful athletes speak to them. Like I'm sure Naomi Osaka speaks to a sports psychologist and she's, you know, one of the best in the business. Um, But, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the competitive side of it. That's the issue. It's, it's coming to terms with everything else outside of it. That's not, you know, when you're not competing, when you're not, doing your sport like what are you doing outside of that and trying to like keep a level head with everything so um you know like my partner speaks with a sports psychologist and she's very open about it um but you know a lot of the time it's it's talking about 
you know, those people are talking about like where's their where's their self worth outside of outside of the sport, um, and how that sort of can drive you to to continue in it, you know, because I think a lot yeah. of people when you get so caught up in your sporting mindset, when sport doesn't go well, it's kind of that mentality of like, I have nothing now because everything implodes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sport was everything to me. And now that's not going well. So I'm probably not going to be able to do that now. And then I don't have anything else. And it's like, exactly. yeah. And it's like that mindset of like, no sports, not everything. Sports are luxury, you know, it's something that, you are choosing to do and you're able to choose to do that. And, you know, you are this person out, you have all these things outside of sport. And if you don't have these things outside of sport, then maybe that's something we can work on. But, you know, it's kind of being able to come to the reality of like, there is a lot going on outside of sport that's available to you. Um, And like the ironic thing is with it in focusing on yourself outside of sport you're probably going to better your performance when it comes to it because you're not putting as much pressure on yourself or you're not you know you've you've seen it is what it is and it's like sports just sport and so when it becomes that it becomes a bit more fun when you're having fun with something you know your limit there is is you know there's no limit um so it's just yeah i think you see that a lot and the people who are performing really well for the most part, I mean, there's obviously some people who aren't, aren't like that, but the people who are performing really well, especially in my sport, I find them so they're like, they're not necessarily engaged in the sport outside of the sport. You know, if you talk to them outside of, outside of a track meet or anything like that, you know, they, you realize they've got so much else going on. Like it's always it's always great to find out little you know little things about other people that you wouldn't have necessarily thought about them. Um, I'm trying to think of like uh, like my um, my main training partner. He loves his golf, and like I know that's uh, I know that's another sport, but it's like it's something outside of his main sport, um, and he loves it. And I started playing with him, and it was you know, one of the best things that happened to me because it automatically shifts your focus to somewhere else for, you know, four or five hours of a day where you're not just building up that snowball in your head of like, mm-hmm. I'm a track and field athlete. This is what I should be doing. This is where I want to be. Well, if I don't get there, then what do I do? You know, stuff like that. Like it's it's a distraction from that from that mindset and i think the biggest misconception is that people think something like that a distraction is bad because it takes shifts your focus away you're not you know you don't you're not prioritizing what you need to do to get better to get stronger all that sort of stuff and it's like yeah but you can't do that 24 7 it's not sustainable no and yeah exactly you can't do it and, and exactly what you said there is what as you were saying that it's what i was thinking and what i was going to say to you you know it's like that's the ironic thing about it if you work on yourself and find balance in life most of the time that's probably going to lead to better results anyway and if it doesn't in the short term you know you might be able to grind and you know run yourself into the ground and obsess on it and maybe in a very very short period it might get a result but it'll blow up and it won't sustain you won't have a long-term career 
if you do it that way because it's just you know no one can sustain that and i in the industry i'm in in the entertainment industry i'm auditioning for acting roles and things like that and i see it every day in that you, you get these actors that uh all they've ever all they're doing is acting they're living off no money they're desperate for the work they don't have anything else going on in their life and when they walk in to do an audition there's this like air of desperation and you're not you're not free to perform and so it's the people that are more balanced that get the work and i think that applies to like so many areas in life it's like so important to have that and um yeah i think and i think the the discipline you learn from being an athlete as well um can translate into so many other industries you know as you sort of move forward because you have to really have that resilience and um and application of all that that sort of self-motivation to be able to front up and you know do things day in day out which sort of running out of time here but um i finished with five key questions but before i go into that um just wanted to ask you you know on that topic of as an athlete you know having these sort of daily things you got to do in that discipline are there things that you've learned through that that maybe for listeners of this podcast that a few tips that could translate or that you know work for you to just um have that sustainability and you know self-motivation daily and create those habits that you could um recommend to anyone or yeah i mean you? i think the biggest thing for me is having a routine you know and yep. like and sticking to that um I think it's very easy to, you know, I, I'm someone who struggles with um, self-accountability with stuff like that. I mean, my biggest incentive to moving to a group was to have, you know, people who were for a little accountable for me as far as doing yeah. the doing the smaller things because, you know, I definitely, definitely started to get lazy when I was training by myself and, you know, convincing yourself that, and I think this, I was talking to someone about this today, it almost comes with overconfidence where you're like convincing yourself like, ah, yeah, it's fine that I missed that. That's all right. Like it's, yeah, not, yeah, that, it's yeah. not that big of a deal sort of thing. And you, you have this overconfidence in yourself that everything will be fine. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think having a mentality of everything's going to be fine is good for certain things. But when it comes to your sport or your discipline, like, uh, there's things you got to do sometimes <laughs> to make sure it's good. But um, so, yeah, so I would say getting on a schedule um, is the most important part of it, but also just, you know, trying to like make it fun in some way. Like there's days where it's just not going to be fun. That's going to feel like a chore and that's, you know, that's the reality of it, but that's okay. Cause I feel like if you can create an environment for yourself where those days are outnumbered by the days where it's a bit fun then it's not it seems like a more manageable task um mm -hmm. so for me yeah i like a specific um scenario for me is i try and you know line line things up to do with other people um yep. so, you know i'll try and do my easy runs with other people so that i'm like you know there's a time that i've said i'm going to meet someone so then that's when I've got to do it sort of thing. Um, and, you know, you go and do it then you've got someone to chat to while you're running. And it's also that drive of like, if I don't do it, then I've got to do it by myself. And I don't want to do it by myself. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I think making it fun in some sense, but also keeping it on a, you know, setting yourself deadlines or, you know, schedules that, that you stick to with it. Um, 
because you know the the other side of that is if you do put it off a few times initially like you set a time and then you say oh no i can't make it because i gotta do this when in reality you're sitting on your couch and you just don't want to go you're gonna create a sense of guilt in yourself after a few times around and then that's kind of the kick in the ass you need to be like all right okay i can't do that anymore let's get on it because you know there's nothing you know i i haven't met anyone i've met people who are comfortable blowing people off once or twice i'm yet to meet someone who's comfortable blowing people off all the time you know like there's there's a sense of guilt i don't care who you are but there's a sense of guilt that builds up somewhere at some point in time and so if you exactly exactly yeah Yeah. and so if you build that schedule around some other people or something that you know depends on someone other than yourself you create a sense of responsibility and accountability with it and i think that's what you know helps you get out there but also what you know also what makes an enjoyable experience is that you're not just doing it for yourself or you're not just doing it with yourself you've got someone else along with you who's who's taken that journey and you know i think it's you know it's a very cheesy phrase but it's you know doing taking the journey with someone is always better than doing it solo um and so i think that's you know that's part of what makes it a lot easier to achieve and much more attainable is when you know you find a person or a group of people who are, you know, on kind of a common goal or at least share share some sort of value in what it is with you. Um, and, yeah, I think that that makes it very attainable and much more enjoyable to do. Yeah, I love all those points. And I think they, they translate to everything in life. And if you take it back to mental health, you know, the, the thing that I talk about all the time is you can have all the best knowledge or intentions in the world, but if you're not creating daily habits, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna stick to it. And if you like you were saying, if you're not accountable to other people, you miss one day and you think, Oh, it's not a big deal, I'll do it tomorrow. That happens a couple of times. You've completely you know, you've you've reconditioned your psychology to think that it's okay to miss a few and you have to and it's not about that every day has to be amazing or you have to be doing you know achieving amazing results daily it's just fronting up daily and doing it and making it that that routine that's how you get results and so i think it's yeah i I really love the points you've said there and you know again for anyone listening to this i think that can really be applied to whatever it is you're doing if you're struggling mentally or you're struggling working from home alone find someone to be accountable to make routines you know get up at a certain time schedule times when you have time for having a break or you know doing things that you enjoy and find that balance but yeah it can really be applied to whatever you're doing so um i love all those points and yeah and thank you for being you know so open and sharing all of this in um in the chat i've really enjoyed and i'm sure our listeners will take a huge amount away from this so i really appreciate it mate um we finish every episode with just five questions and these are just like one line answers whatever comes to mind um so the first one is uh best childhood memory best childhood memory um best childhood memory was uh watching matt hayden at the gabba in 2002 uh hit a you know hit a century against england in the in the ashes there. I loved my cricket. Matt Hayden was my idol growing up, still is. So um yeah, that that's that's a childhood memory that that really sticks with me. 
Love that one. Um, what do you think is the biggest burden on mental health in society today? Or one of the biggest burdens? Um, I think like we were talking about before is, is not identifying your own self-identity and placing whatever you're doing as, as work or, um, yeah, basically placing your job as your identity. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, people, people have that self-identity of themselves because of the way they're either treated in the workplace or, or what stigmas are in society today. So, you know, I think, yeah, not, not being able to identify yourself outside of your occupation. Totally. I think it's a, yeah, very, very important one. Um, do you see things in that area improving in the next sort of decade? Definitely. I think, um, if there's anything that's been sort of beneficial from um, the last 18 months with the pandemic, it's that when, you know, when people are working from home, they're sort of realising there's more to them um, than just, you know, either a nine to five job at work, like people were having to, you know, really dig deep to find find some other things yeah. they enjoyed in life. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people have been able to identify um things that they do that they enjoy about themselves outside of that so um yeah no i do see it improving i think there's a lot more emphasis on mental health in in um, respective work industries and um you know i've even noticed that was a big difference between the rio olympics and the tokyo olympics was there was a lot more emphasis on mental health at these games than any other so um yeah yeah no i definitely see that improving over the next 10 years yeah, which is massively positive. Um, two more here. What would you say is your personal definition of happiness? Personal definition of happiness. Um, yeah, my personal definition of happiness is being able to be at home, you know, and by myself and sort of just be able to sit back and, if I can look at what I'm doing and what I've done and, you know, have a little smile come across your face, I feel like that's, you know, that's, that's when you know you're truly happy. It's not necessarily when you're going and doing something or anything like that, but when you can sit and reflect on who you are and what, what you've not necessarily achieved, but what's, what your life looks like and what it yeah. could, what it could look like if you didn't make you know, a dumb decision or something like that, then that's, you know, that to me is, is happiness. It's when you can be by yourself and be happy with how or satisfied with how things are. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, a lot, most of the, a lot of people are sort of trying to, you know, can't be still or looking at how can I distract myself? I don't want to be still. So totally agree. I think it's a, a really important one. Uh, so final one, uh, what would you say is the most courageous thing you've ever done? courageous thing i've ever done um tell you what i was shitting bricks when i asked my fiance to marry me that was that feels like the most (laughs) courageous thing i've ever done um but uh i would say um probably probably making the initial move to the US in 2013 I think I um 
it didn't seem like a big deal at the time to me, but you know, that's, that's a big thing to do is to, you know, pack up your life and commit to changing your life like that. Um, for, you know, when you go to college, it's a, at least a four year stint. And so I was leaving all my mates, all my family and going to a setup where I didn't know anyone. Um, and, you know, that's but was, thing. yeah, and was fully prepared to commit to that. Um, and I think the more courageous thing for me about it was that I was doing it because I knew what I was doing currently wasn't good for me. Like I was running, but I was, you know, running fine. I wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. I was failing out of uni. And, you know, ultimately I think for me to be able to take a look at myself and be like, this isn't it, you know, this isn't, this isn't happiness for me. Yeah. Um yeah, and, you know, I got that opportunity and I sort of just said, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to go and, you know, I need to make a big change and this is a big change. So let's do that and see if that works. Um, and, you know, ultimately it, it was the best move I think I ever made um, and it's it's really paid off for me in the sense that now I have I have so much to thank for that for that one decision. Um, and yeah, I would, that's, that's one decision in my life where if I had to take it a million times more and I could look back on each time, I would hundred percent make the same decision every time. Um, so yeah, so that, that's probably the most courageous thing I've done. Great. Yeah. And I, yeah, I really love that as well. And it's like often the things that we know in our gut that we need to do that terrify us, um, that turn out to be the best decisions and. I think it's sometimes you've just got to throw yourself in the deep end and and do it, you know, and it pays off and and not listen to your head, just you know, follow your gut and and know that it will work out. So, yeah, again, thank you for uh, making the time. Oh, I forgot to ask you final question: How are you? Are you having a in quarantine? What do you do with running? Are you do you have a break or how do you do they let you out to run or do you have a treadmill or <laughs> yeah? I was like interested in it. Yeah, um, we. We were trying to get treadmills up and I think usually this hotel does like allow that, but um, because the entire charter flight to Brisbane is staying in this hotel, um, there were a lot of requests for treadmills and I think it got to the point where they said if everyone has a treadmill, we're going to short circuit the place and it's not going to end well. <laughs> um, so I think it was kind of the situation and then like, all right, no treadmills, you can't do that. Um, yes. So, yeah, so there's no, we're not allowed powered or like electronic exercise equipment. So, um, you know, I'm trying to, to more keep my head entertained. I think I'm kind of being forced into a break with that, but I've got a skipping rope. I've got some dumbbells to do little things like that. So I've been, you know, I've been keeping myself busy with it, but it's obviously not the same sort of level of fitness. I've definitely, you know, I'm definitely not as in shape as I was two weeks ago. Um, but yeah, so I'll um, you know, come out of here. I think I'll start back up running pretty soon after I get out. But just you know, just sort of easy stuff for a while, and then um, our our group starts back training. Um, I think our first official day of training is uh, first week of October. So um, okay, you know, yeah. I think just so long as I can you know run and maintain some sort of some sort of fitness until then. Um, 
but more so just, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out of here and spending time with family, but then getting back to the US and, and spending time with my fiance before we, before we have to check back in. Um, yeah. So yes. So next six weeks will just be kind of like run, but just sort of reset everything and, and get ease, prepared ease back for, into it. Yeah. Yeah. Get prepared for what's coming back. And I feel like that kind of builds a hunger in you as well. Like by the first time that, by the time that first of October week comes, I'll be ready. I'll, I'll want to start back up sort of thing. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, no, I think it's, um, but yeah, we're, <laughs> we're trying, I'm getting creative with stuff in here, but um, definitely not, you know, I'm not running up and down my six meter corridor. That's what uh, I was going to say. Yeah, you can do times. just, yeah. <laughs> you'd have to do a fair few laps, laps up and down to make up 10, 10Ks. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually might not finish that 10K. So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm sure it's good having that force break. Anyway, it's probably healthy to have that and a good time to do it. But yeah, thank you again for making the time to chat about all of it. And uh, yeah, wish you the best of luck with everything. And we'll have to hopefully catch up in the US at some point when you when you're back over here. Absolutely, mate. No, thanks for having me. It's great to chat. Awesome. Thanks so much, mate. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Pat Tiernan for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.